Hello, Kevin. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Damn right. Oh, Kevin, you're so witty. I would stab someone in the face. Oh, that's gross. I'm cutting this, by the way. Bad Philosophy, episode 138, recorded on June 8th, 2013. No longer a thing. Welcome in one to Bad Philosophy, episode 138. We are back, and I am your host, Stephen Torrance. I'm here with my good friend, Kevin Saunders. Hi there. Who has his uh, his knee-top device yes. in his hand, ironically. <laughs> um, did not bring his laptop. Finger-top in. device? Finger-top. Finger I mean, we'll it's, yeah. And uh, a man who's got his finger on the, the top of... I, I lost my train of thought Nothing there. But there. anyways, it's been a while. It's been... <laughs> <laughs> been far too long, and we're very happy to have back on the show, uh, Dr. Mark Webb. How, are you, how the hell are you, sir? Fine as frogs here. How are you? So I'm 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 doing all right. I'm I'm hanging in there. Uh, you're coming to us from uh, from Seville, Spain, right? Or That's Sevilla? right. Sevilla. A big buenos dias from uh, Sevilla. Um, ¿Qué tal? ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien, gracias. <laughs> You stay? And uh, frijoles, frijoles. Me gusta la cerveza. Me gusta la cerveza. Donde está la biblioteca? Do you have the, the uh, entire rap from Community memorized, Doctor Webb, or has that ever come up? No, it hasn't come up. <laughs> there's there's a, a first semester of Spanish rap in Spanish from this mm -hmm. TV show. Very, very, very useful for uh, yes. uh, yeah. at least getting getting the youngsters engaged. I think uh, <laughs> they would appreciate the the humor. Me llamo T Bone, la, la disco la disco aranga. My name is T Bone, the disco spider. Oh, <laughs> yes. So I guess we should give a little bit of background. Uh, Texas Tech University has a uh, campus in Seville, Spain, which is where Dr. Webb currently is. And uh, what what exactly are you teaching there, if if not Spanish? I am teaching my world religions and philosophy class. Ah, oh, my favorite. Andalusia has got remains of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And so I got excuses to take kids on field trips and show them the great mosque in Cordoba and the, the one of the three pre-1492 synagogues still standing in Toledo. Oh, man. Ooh. That is... When we go to Toledo, I have to resist buying a rapier. <laughs> That's an understandable thing. Yeah. I can't have both the rapier and the flamenco guitar, so I have to decide. Uh, well, that you'll have to like save one or the other for next summer, right? I'm still <laughs> I, I think, though, this is an opportunity here. Yeah. A rapier that like slides inside the neck of a flamenco guitar. Of a flamenco guitar. So, you know, you can play the guitar, and then if and danger then... strikes... <laughs> You can whip out your rapier and uh, give them the old El Cabong. <laughs> El Cabong. <laughs> My favorite superhero. <laughs> oh, man. And thematically appropriate. Very. Because it's got L in it, so it must be okay. <laughs> it must be Hispanic. Spanish. Strictly. That's, uh, that's terrible. Well... <laughs> I, don't a, I don't have a good segue for that one, so I guess we'll just... <laughs> From uh, from from flamenco guitars and rapiers to epistemology, <laughs> that is returning. A... <laughs> st strictly speaking, um, there there hasn't been a ton of actual philosophy on bad philosophy in a while, uh, <laughs> ma mainly due to the the distinct lack of, of actual philosophy professors. So I <laughs> I have I have, I'm hoping hoping to remedy that just a little bit by having an actual honest-to-God doctor of philosophy in philosophy back on the show today. It, it's, it's true. true. Yeah, it's I, had to, a, I had to work it out. I got it. Right? I got it. Um, which, I guess a little rabbit trail on that, Dr. Webb. Do you know the story for like why, why that is still a thing? Um, like, or, like for instance, why um, philosophy doctorates aren't just um, PhD? Not like <laughs> PhD in philosophy seems kind of redundant, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I am told, I'm no expert on this stuff, but I am told that uh, the idea was that um, the philosophy, the PhD philosophy part was 
because you're at the level where you're studying the foundations of whatever it is you're studying. Uh, so you're okay. not just a master, which means you can teach it, but you've actually studied the foundations, uh, the assumptions, mm. the presuppositions, and brought forth something new. Okay. Hence the, the idea of a doctoral thesis and, and defending it and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a research degree, so there are other doctoral degrees that aren't. Yeah, you've you've gone to the to the ends of the earth, the depths of the mines, and and pulled out some nugget that you're something sh new showing the world. Yeah. Which, which personally, I feel like would have been easier 150 years ago. Probably. Um, yeah, there's well, that's, the ground that has has been covered is substantial. Yeah, <laughs> true that. It it does seem to be getting harder and harder to to find those nuggets of of actual newness. I actually um, had it explained to me in a really interesting way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and still true in certain fields, depending on the field, because there are certainly new areas of study. But there were times when, you know, if you can equate it to cartography, where it was, you know, here there be dragons. Yeah. And your job is to find the coastline. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nowadays, it's not, you know, we've got all the coastlines. We've even got the major cities land and landmarks done. You're trying to find new, really interesting things in very small spaces. And right. so it's still something new, but it's got a different scope and, and area to it. Because hmm. um, it's kind of refining all that work that's, that's come before. Yeah. It becomes sort of about the, the metathesis versus a little bit, the yeah. meta-research in, in a it, lot of cases. Yeah. I was surprised to learn how many different projections there are and, and that they're good for different things. There's a really cool XKCD about those oh. Map projections. Oh, don't even get oh, Kevin yeah. started on XKCD. Well, no, no. To be fair, the map projections are really cool. Um, <laughs> now, XKCD was not the first person to introduce them to me, um, but the fact that the Mercator map is like all about Europe is accurately scaled. Everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And saw really Asia important. right in half. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not using that. Um, Nobody lives there anyway. Yeah, but no, and it's it's yeah. That's what I think the, the different map projections are really interesting at showing is the perceptions of the map makers. Yes, <laughs> this is important. This isn't because I mean, really, in the Mercator map, the only thing that is accurate for like travel mm -hmm. and for trying to get places is Europe. Yeah, yeah. Everything else is off scale. You know, you get Greenland looking larger than Africa, which is <laughs> not the case at all. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, oh, so in the in the Lubbock paper recently, there was a letter to the editor, and the guy said, "Why do we when we fly to Europe? Why do we fly over the pole? Why don't we just fly straight across there?" <laughs> it's a good question, but there's a really cool answer to it. I thought uh, in third grade we did the great circle thing. But... Uh, yeah. I did not do that in third grade. I did that in my college physics class. So um, <laughs> maybe we should bring it back to. Third grade? No, it wouldn't wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, you know, we we could be wrong about which which map is is the best to use for various things. But a globe, a globe. Well, okay. Yeah. But, but when, that... when did North get to be up? What is what's up with that? I'm... Exactly. When when did that when did that start? Like who? Is there there are fifteenth yeah. and sixteenth century maps where you know east is up or you know depending on what you're interested in what you sure. what huh. you want to be facing that's up. And so it might be south, it might be southwest, it might be anything. Yeah. I mean, I've seen those, those, what I thought were novelty maps of Australia where everything else is upside down. Yeah. And, and Australia is the focus. So, to so, be fair, the map of Oxford, Ohio, that is posted everywhere, mm -hmm. uh, not well, the, the campus of Miami University, yeah. north is to the right. <laughs> and for a long time, that was very hard to get used to. Huh. So in that case, West was actually up on all of the maps. <laughs> Maybe. And you had a little N with an arrow, but it was pointing sideways. Well, here's, here's what I imagine. I mean, this is, just, this is just speculation, possibly. Could be wrong about this. Since, since we have the North Star, uh, and whatever that was called at any point in, in time, it, perhaps because most of our maps that we have nowadays come from Western culture, which developed in, in Europe, in the Northern Hemisphere, navigation across land or sea was done by the North Star, right? So that, that was sort of this fixed point that you could see from the Northern Hemisphere. Good Therefore, point. like, that made a logical thing yeah, yeah. to call up, you know? <laughs> Is there a but South Pole Star? There's the, there... um, there's, there's not really, yeah. it's, or it's not bright, but um, 
the Southern Cross points to it, or the Southern Cross just kind of like rotates around yeah. it. Look, look over there. That's where you're looking. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's kind of, but it's much harder in the, in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. It'd be cool if there was, and then we could just have you know those two stars and put a line between them, you know, using rope or something, and then slide the Earth back and forth. <laughs> um, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what what exactly you're going for with I've, that. I've broken Stephen's brain. No, interstellar travel, that's what I'm saying. Oh, the whole planet oh, I see. between the stars on between, a big rope. Between two stars. Yeah, well, between two stars. It would still be interstellar travel. Yeah. It just wouldn't be very interesting. What <laughs> well, if, what okay, it's expensive to build a giant rope between two planets, or two stars, I'm just saying. You could have a bunch of guys inside the Earth pulling on the rope. A bunch of big yes. guys, you know. It'd be like, and yeah. Well, at the center of the world, they don't weigh anything, so they just, you know. <laughs> so they won't be able to, to pull, <laughs> pull it all, yeah. yeah. That's not working. It's also um, not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, it, there was a very interesting, uh, I don't even remember where I read about this, but considering what would happen if you actually made a pole through the entire Earth and then jumped right like if you were able to create a big enough chasm that you could just you could just jump through mm -hmm. if if it were it, then they took it through like various scenarios if yeah. the if the um if the column were filled with air eventually you would burn up because you would hit you know the velocity at which the particles yeah, of air would, velocity yeah well not not even um at some point the the, the pressure, pressure oh yeah would would i mean because gravitational acceleration um would get you to terminal velocity, yeah. but, the, but the pressure would kill you. That's what it was. Um, if there were no air in it, it would work, kind of, but like you would reach a, a really high speed. Well, there was an interesting <laughs> thing. Um, I don't know exactly how they, how they proved it, but they looked at um, you know, oh, building that's tunnels across the way. Yeah. A tunnel between any two points fueled just by gravity. So basically mm -hmm. falling, you know, towards the center and then back away from it huh. in sort of a, a, you know, parabolic or straight, you know, the acceleration is parabolic. You make a straight line between two points on the Earth. Yeah. Would take 42 minutes. Cool. Regardless of where you are. Yeah. Um, now, in some cases, like if I just want to walk, you know, across the room, it's mm -hmm. better to not use the tunnel. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> that can take a while. It could. But, you know, that's... and. Again, you're you're dealing with a lot of other physical issues, you know, like Coriolis pressure, effects. Coriolis effects, yeah, things like that. That, that. that was what that was the thing that if even if you could build the tunnel with a vacuum, the fact that the Earth was rotating, you would like eventually start to drift closer and closer to the sidewall, and then be scraping along it for a long Whee! time. <laughs> so that would not be terribly fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, all these all these things are just fascinating to think about, but. Uh, bottom line being, it's not a very efficient form of transportation to just drill a column through the center of the Earth. Know, the it worked sides. real well in that Total Recall remake. Yeah. It didn't. I didn't see that movie. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. The original Total Recall was fine. It was. It didn't, it didn't need Colin, what's his name? Farrell. Colin, Colin Farrell, yeah. Anyway. Um, ambiguity. Right? Yes. <laughs> All right, Dr. Webb. What the yeah. hell... The hell is fallibilism? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay. No, well, literally, it's I don't know. No, it's really? not that either. That's no, skepticism. Okay. That's skepticism. Fallibilism is I might be wrong. <laughs> right. I uh, here's what I know, though I might be wrong about what I know. Yeah, it yeah. means yeah, certainty is not required for knowledge, um, and you can be wrong about absolutely anything. Including, oh, well, we'll get there in a second. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I guess, well, let's see. Here we go. Um, this coming from the, the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Um, the general formulation of it, which I am finding I'm just going here. to Wikipedia. Yeah, the Wikipedia wasn't great about it. It never is. Um, Conservopedia. Surely they got everything. Yeah, for sure. I just discovered Conservopedia. Is it? I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I read it. <laughs> like it's, I want to, I want to laugh at the, like it's, maybe it's just some big satirical joke, but then I'm afraid it isn't, and I have to just like shut off my computer and go 
play outside with a puppy or something to make you feel better. <laughs> Reddit. Okay, here we go. So in a general formulation, any instance of fallible knowledge is a true belief which is at least fallibly or less than infallibly justified. So I can, I can believe something. Let's say I, I believe that kittens uh, have hair. <laughs> do you? You don't do. sound like you believe that. <laughs> I, I do have conviction that. in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> so you I, sound confused. How about this? I, I believe that the Southern Cross points toward the, um, the South Pole, for instance. The South Solar astronomical, whatever the hell you call it. That the point, point above the South Pole. The point above the South Pole. I believe or the below South the South Pole. Mm -hmm. So, but I could be wrong about this. Now, I know that's not a rigorous definition necessarily, but it, it gets at this idea, I think, that we... In epistemology, there's that, this whole, like, it's the search for, for knowledge, right, generally? Or, like, the study of how we come to believe that we have knowledge? How, how would you characterize epistemology in general, Dr. Webb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's theory of knowledge, so it's, yeah, theory, you know, we'll go that, to ontology uh, next and just, um, you know, define the modes by which we get it, um, what it actually is uh, mm -hmm. compared to other epistemic states, um, why it matters, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So there are a few different approaches you can take to this. Um, you mentioned skepticism before, which is... How would how would you how would you characterize that? Not define it. Yeah, the, probably the most like straightforward it. form of it is just that knowledge is impossible. Knowledge is impossible. Yay! You can no, never know that? anything. I'm yeah. okay with that. Didn't okay. Okay. say that? There are different versions depending on. Uh, eh, that's not something I know very well, but there are okay. different versions of it. There are different versions that are slightly different, have different consequences. Okay. And, uh, I mean, Kevin says, oh, yeah, I'm fine with that, um, because he's a post-structuralist. We, we've had a lot of, by the way, Dr. Webb, in the intervening year and a half since we've had you on the show, a little rabbit trail on this. I've broken Stephen's brain. Uh, Kevin has, has slowly but surely converted me, I guess, which I don't know if that's even a good way to characterize it, but converted me to post-structuralism. So... <laughs> <laughs> to have an intervention. I hear yeah. you sigh, and uh, I'm really <laughs> curious why why you are sighing at that. <laughs> it's the only I, rational. I actually response. don't know what poststructuralism is. Um, <laughs> how can you? <laughs> I know there are uh, there are kinds of postmodernism that I think are straightforwardly self contradictory, or straightforwardly <laughs> pragmatically self contradictory. Uh, so I don't know. Poststructuralism may not be one of those. In which case. Have at it. Have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess on a meta level, why is this something that, that you haven't looked into in, in depth or at least don't care too much about? Yeah, life's too short. <laughs> life's too short to be a post-structuralist? Uh, or to, yeah. You know, I, I chase the rabbits that look interesting. And that's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh, chase yeah. them all. <laughs> yeah. So it's our new new slogan. Can't trace them all. Well, and, and I'm, but we I, I try. Guess, <laughs> we, we we certainly do try. So I, I I'm having trouble articulating this. I guess so. So fallibilism, even even epistemology in, in general, anything but skepticism, mm -hmm. uh, seems to be incompatible with with poststructuralism in in this in some senses. Fallibilism says that I, I mean I I can know something, but circumstances or, or evidence or something may change in the future that affects that thing that I, I know now. No, so it's, I, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Okay. Uh, I could know it right now. Uh, and yet. And yet. Uh, it's possible in some sense that I'm wrong. Okay. And that's part of the problem. How do you cash what this possibility is. Mm -hmm. The example that was given in this in this article is, I I know, or it is raining, but I do not believe it is raining. So that that could be under fallibilism. That's an acceptable statement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so no, I um, wouldn't say that. 
I wouldn't is say that okay. because to assert something is to is to you won't assert it if you don't believe it unless you're playing or joking or something. Hmm. Right. So, but you can't say it's raining, but I know it isn't raining. Interesting. So that that I guess it's saying into... it's it's raining, and I believe it isn't raining. Mm-hmm. It it is true that I mean it's possible that it is raining, and you believe it isn't raining, mm-hmm. or it's raining, and you know it isn't. I know that one's not that one won't work. Yeah, it's truth condition on knowledge. Right. Mm. It it does get it does get super complicated. So maybe we want to kind of keep it on the um, keep it. Well, in the... Go back to that that uh, what was that definition you read? Well, I remember not I, liking it, but I don't remember why. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to go again. back to one of the one of the earlier formulations of it. Um, all beliefs are fallible. Um, see all beliefs are only at best fallibly justified is is another expression of it that, that's given yeah. fairly early on would you would do you buy that <laughs> yeah but it's that just you know it has uh kind of a semi-circularity problem yeah it certainly so does to, to define fallibilism in terms of fallible or fallibility or <laughs> So here's, here's kind of an evolution of it. All beliefs are, at best, only fallibly justified, and a belief is fallibly justified when, even if the belief considered in itself could not be false, the justification for it exemplifies or reflects some more general way or process of thinking or forming beliefs, a way or process which is itself fallible due to its capacity to result in false beliefs. I think the snake is eating its own tail. <laughs> so it's sort of a... I, um, I guess, yeah, that's a version... Oh, gosh, So that, that can encompass... It's specifically formulated to encompass mathematical truths. So, right. for instance... Well, yeah, see, this, it, is, this is the problem with defining fallibilism. Uh, yeah. It tends to either uh, devolve into just skepticism or... <laughs> just uh, there are no necessary truths and most people aren't willing to do those things and so I'm okay with no necessary good truths. so how do we <laughs> how do we formulate it in a way that doesn't have those consequences and that's yeah. one way to do it but I don't think that one does the work uh, well I guess we should we I should take a back. paper about this uh, <laughs> <Did you? laughs> convenient giving up on certainty it is called uh. um, and you can actually buy it from many of those paper mills because hmm. they it's sell. Good. <laughs> oh, it's they don't give me any money. But I, I have to say, I don't know if I've mentioned this, and I, w- I won't name any names. They leave my name on it, which I think is ridiculous. Oh, if you can sell this thing, at least trim the byline off. Yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> I'll get back. To one you. of the people yeah. I was talking about in that paper tries that. He says, you know, to say that. Uh, any of our beliefs might be wrong is to say that the methods by which we form our beliefs are fallible. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I don't think that does it because what fallibilism is about is admitting from the per- first-person perspective that you could be wrong. Uh, and so, you know, 2 plus 2 is 4. Um, the method by which I figured that out is fallible because with really big numbers, you know, I screw it up. Hmm. But I'm really sure of that one, and anybody who thinks otherwise is an idiot. <laughs> That's compatible with that definition of a fallibilism, but it doesn't sound like a fallibilist to me. Right. right. So I guess in your yeah, paper, so then, what can be what, wrong about two plus two is four? Even mm-hmm. there's no big consequence. I have a sort of weird. Uh, social epistemology kind of explanation for that. How does that go? Well, I, I think uh, to think about fallibilism as a, a thesis that's either true or false is the mistake. It's really a norm of discourse. Huh. And um, I, I got really infected by this sort of Pittsburgh University philosophy of language Um where they talk about language as a game that has moves and scorekeeping and stuff like that. Huh. And uh, so when you make an assertion, you take on a, a burden to defend the thing. If someone challenges it, then you have a, uh, a burden to defend it. 
some challenges are are acceptable and some are not. Uh, but uh, to be a fallibilist is to say there is no assertion that is that is automatically safe. Ah, okay. Anything no, is no is reasonably subject assertion. to challenge under some conditions or other. Okay. How about? I guess you you always you you sort of ingrained this in me. Whenever a uh, a theory makes an assertion about a, a broad uh, category or about everything, always apply it back I to, to itself. itself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that said, could... I'm so proud of that sniff. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I always do that. I always. I mean. Uh, and, and so I, I'm asking that about about that well, assertion. So, if, no, yeah. if the assertion that no move is safe, um, could that yeah. move itself be fallible? Some challenge, absolutely. Right? <laughs> and that's why I have to argue about it with people, uh -huh. <laughs> and nobody believes me. Uh, so I haven't I haven't persuaded anybody, <laughs> yeah. except other Pittsburghers. Well, that that kind of goes to you know, in, in a different way, but, you know, the, the idea that there's an exception to every rule, including that one. So sometimes right. there isn't an exception to every rule. Yeah. It's, I mean, every, everything is challengeable, except when it's not. <laughs> Which, you know, it, it kind of, you're right. It, it sort of, it seems like that just devolves into, into skepticism. But it, there, there is a distinction, I think, in, in terms of, here's, here's why I really like fallibilism. As, as a human being, because it seems to be a, it seems to encapsulate the human condition really well in, in frame, framing it in such a way that it can, like, it seems immensely practical to be able yeah. to say, um, you know, look, we can misuse evidence. We, our senses are unreliable. Our memory is unreliable. Uh, we can reason fallaciously. We have limits to our intelligence. We have limits to what we can represent with language. Um, we have, you know, our, our situation and our circumstances can limit us. These are all examples from the, the article. But it, you know, sort of recognizing that, that there are certain things that we, not even that, that, that you know, humans have this sort of, um, you know, fallibility, right? That's, the, you know, where the whole term comes from is we're not perfect. And I think there, there was that temptation for a long time, right, to, to get at, you know, wait, there are these, these uh, platonic ideals, right? There are these, there's necessary, there are necessary truths, you know, there are these things that are self-evident, right? That if we can just discover them as human beings, we can sort of lock onto these and then build this, you know, certainty out of it. And that, you know, there's a comfort in that, right? And being able to, to place your feet on a rock rather than on, you know, a board that may slip out from under you at some point. <laughs> and, exactly, uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's the comfort of fundamentalism, you know? Right, right. Uh, I say, don't go there. Don't go there. Turn away. <laughs> well, and, it, and is that kind of what the, what Buddhism kind of interacts with, or, or um, intersects with, I guess, is that, that idea of, you know, dependent co-arising. You know, there's, there's no, like, one thing out of which there is the origin of everything else. It's exactly, all... Yeah. yeah. In fact, it's sort of the metaphysical version. I mean, fallibilism is the epistemology and and dependent co-arising is the metaphysics mm -hmm. it's cool that's i'm gonna write that down <laughs> so so i guess well but why why i guess um apparently many epistemologists do ascribe to some variety of fallibilism nowadays right yeah um in in your experience does you know why, why is this position difficult um for seeming to me I'm, I'm just observing here i may be wrong about this but it, it seems like most people i've encountered do try to grasp at centers at um you know fundamentals at, at ideals at these things you know out of which they can derive everything else the you know guiding principles of a sort um with with sort of that you know you know i know this for certain i you know from the bottom of my heart or whatever however they want to articulate it and um, this is one of those things that I cannot be wrong about. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it comes with a lot of uh, faith in the a priori and, uh, and you know, a kind of foundational picture where 
you know, if the foundations aren't certain and solid, then the whole structure is prone to falling down. So the very so, thing that Descartes got all upset about. Right, exactly. He's like, I'm going to throw everything away. And then, you know, he's sort of, I, don't, I think he made some, some, some uh, crucial leaps, you know, in getting back to, um, back to knowledge about the world. But um, yeah, yeah. Hume, Hume's approach that, that's mentioned in here is that very cautionary uh, message of like, look, just because, you know, you could observe every single swan uh, that, is, exists, that exists, you know, up to this point in time, but that still doesn't give you absolute certainty that the next swan you observe is going to be white. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the next one, you know, N plus one could be black. And yeah. uh, that certainly was, was the case. So what... Well, this I guess is, in, this in is your... the thing, right? I mean, people, a, a lot of epistemologists want to reject it because it sounds like it's, it's a slippery slope to skepticism. How is it not? Well, that's, the, that's indeed the question. That's why I sort of <laughs> went the, the norm way, because I'm mm -hmm. thinking it, there's this false dichotomy between uh, I could be wrong, so it's unreliable, uh, and I couldn't be wrong. Hmm. Those aren't the... When you think of it as like a game, you can get into a position that's safe for a long time, and might even be safe forever. Okay. It's just, if nobody ever comes to challenge it, right? Uh, so you you can say instead of uh, it's not safe or well, it's safe for now given what I've got and yeah, I, and nobody's challenged it or nothing has challenged it. So so I guess in, in this equivalent, right? Knowledge like, would like, be you know like in basketball, mm -hmm. uh, take the uh, take the the truth that you cannot dunk over LeBron James. Okay. Basketball. That's just a fact. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. could work on it, you know, and get to the point where, you know, some, somebody might say, challenge accepted, you know, go take a lot of steroids and <laughs> flubber in your shoes. And I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I love flubbering my shoes. So <laughs> to, to, to say that um, fallibilism is like this, the things that we say we can't be wrong about, what we're saying is, in fact, there will be no challenge to this to succeed. Hmm. Not ever be, but it's a rule of the game that this is a safe position. Right, right. And what you're saying is that that's not a rule. <laughs> right, it's not a rule. It just, you know, 2 plus 2 is 4. So, uh, so yeah, something like um, 2 plus 2 equals 4 would be, like a, it would be supported by a rule of the game, right? There's something that, that just makes that true. You know, you can move into the spot two plus two equals four, and then nobody can touch you there, or something like that. No, it's the denial of that. Actually, it's the denial of that. Okay. Somebody could come up with with ground. I can't imagine what they would be, but I what I'm what I'm saying is I'm confident that, or rather, I should act as if it's possible for a challenge to come even to that. Mm -hmm. And here's what here's one of the things that made me start thinking about that. You want to say, look, if there's anything that is is rock solid, if there's anything that's certain, it's non-contradiction. Right? Okay. A contradiction cannot be true. Along comes Graham Priest, an Australian, uh -huh. who, <laughs> and I don't know what the sun boils their brains or something. He works out a complete systematic dialectic logic, according to which. A statement can be both false and true, and contradict. And some contradictions are true. <laughs> they're also false, but they're true. And you know, people's heads explode when they try to talk to him. <laughs> I'm, I'm but sure. I, see, I want to say you have to listen to the guy. He's a PhD in philosophy, an expert in logic. He's developed this system, and nobody can find anything wrong with it, except that it allows some contradictions to be true. <laughs> So then you you sort of do the G more shift right, and it's like, well, no, uh, contradictions yeah, that's have what to I do. be. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Therefore, there's something wrong with what? What was his name again? Graham Priest. Graham Priest. See, I wonder if that's a coincidence, the priest thing. But anyway. <laughs> well, so here's here's why I guess to to go to go meta on this, I, I find fallibilism 
and kind of an embracing of uncertainty to be such maybe a safer position than this idea of, of than fundamentalism, than a priori truths, because it allows for adaptability. Um, yeah. Uh, Maynard Keynes uh, of Keynesian economics put it somewhat like this. He was paraphrased. When the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and sort of spitting it back at the person of like, you know, it's this adaptation idea. It seems um, uh, not not fundamental, maybe, but it, it seems to be what we are as humans, right? Is is adapting to changing circumstances. You know, practical practicalism, right? Is just you you do the best with what you have, recognize that you can be wrong, um, understand how you are wrong, and you know change appropriately, and then move move right to a different position, right? That you feel slightly more defensible. And yeah. yeah. I, so so that's I guess where I'm coming from. What sort of assumptions am I making in uh, appreciating that? position as being superior to fundamentalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, everything's provisional. Uh, so uh, what you should be saying is, this is how it looks to me now. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if somebody comes along and shows me that waiting for somebody to come along and show me that I'm wrong is wrong, I think I hurt myself. <laughs> then I'll change my mind about that too. You know, I might f decide later that uh, infallibilism is the truth, uh -huh. because certainly fallibilism is up for grabs. <laughs> but can you be a, a fallibilist while believing in infallibilism? Like, can you be a fallible fundamentalist? Nope. <laughs> right. No, like, it doesn't. It, it feels like you can never. Once you get into fallibilism, you can never really get out of it. Right. Like. Can, can a fallibilist I think I'm out and they drag me back in? <laughs> right? like, um, you know, it, and, and that's where it really gets yeah. it gets tough for me is is how would a fallibilist truly be able to invalidate their own position of fallibilism, right? <laughs> well, if somebody gave me a good argument for for infallibilism and showed me why my arguments for fallibilism were wrong, uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, that's I'd change my mind. So if the potential okay. for it exists. So it's like in that moment, <laughs> but I could you know, get back into fallibilism. I don't think. Well, maybe I could. I <laughs> you could be wrong about that, because right? It so it seems, seems like infallibly true that fallibilism is true. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I guess I'm I'm wrapped up in that, but maybe that's not actually a problem. I, I yeah. Yeah, um, I think so, but uh, I could be wrong. Right. <laughs> See, but I could be wrong about that. I think we're stuck. At, so, so Kevin. It, the funny yeah. thing for me is it, it all it seems to assimilate epistemology to ethics in a weird sort of way, right? Because so. my preferred way of thinking about it is it's it's like a norm of conversation. It's a rule you should follow in conversation. Yeah. Uh, the but other, the only other way the I can think of to do to... is think of it as like an intellectual virtue of humility, intellectual mm -hmm. humility. Oh, okay. No, I, I like then that that dovetails. That in might with, be with more straightforward. Uh, so you know, it, it, I, I, all there... the Pittsburgh school stuff about language. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you familiar with a man named uh, Tim Kreider? Mm, sounds familiar. Let me think. As a, he's a writer for the for the New York Times. Um, let me let me pull up this one for you because he he wrote uh, an article in the New York Times uh, recently called uh, "The Power of I Don't Know," and mm -hmm. it is a uh, it is a fantastic little piece just about kind of his his experience uh, moving through the world and uh, being named an expert on various things, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a fallibilist paper for sure. Um, but he he kind of complains about this fact that like look, um, people argue with me on the internet. <laughs> someone will, will come up and be like, what? That's all it's for, right? right? Someone will, will be like, so let me get this straight. Um, you claim that your cat is more attractive than all living cats, or you claim that pie is perfectly acceptable for breakfast, or let me get this straight, you claim that pants are purely optional, you know, and these sorts of, you know, people argue with him uh, about all these things, and he's like, look, I could be wrong about all this, and this, this, this statement this caveat is implicit in everything I write. You know, in my opinion, should uh, you know pr precede everything, right? And yet, it feels really um, you know it's it's called wishy washy. It's called flip floppy. It's called you know equivocating to to always um, sort of give these qualifications for every every statement you make. 
Um, <laughs> because people like experts, right? They, pe they like people who know. <laughs> this is the truth. This is the truth, right? Um, and, and really, he says, like, anytime I'm, I'm brought on for an, a television interview, the, the little caption below me should not be, you know, writer or uh, expert. It should be person in world. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, Area man. Right? Some guy, you know, <laughs> um, generic human being. Uh, and, and just that, that idea of, of you know, we, we elevate um, certain people to these this status of, you know, okay, everything that they say, you know, you can take it for, for the, you know, God's word or whatever the, you know, you don't have to take it with a grain of salt. And it's, it seems, you know, we discount people who are like, well, you know, I, I may be wrong about this, but, you know, or in my opinion, blah, blah, blah. You know, this, the Fox News is of the world and the CNNs and everybody, they want to bring in folks who are going to get to the truth, right? And, yes. and so just, it, it doesn't seem to be that the world is operating with this, this idea of fallibilism in general. And he's, he's kind of trying to, I guess, introduce it in a, in a clever way. Let me, let me get you the, the link to this, Dr. Webb, if I can. Hey. Um, and it, it just, it got me thinking about, you know, could there be social consequences to such a position? Because you're right, it, it does seem to come from this ethical standpoint of humility, right? To, to go on TV and say, this is the truth, it's, you know, there's ego behind that. There's this, this sort of hubris that comes with I have the truth. I have the Here truth, is. everybody. This is, yeah, this yeah. is it. Like, that seems, it, it seems arrogant. Um, and yet it, it is recognized as confidence or, um, you know, th there's that sort of, it's taken for granted that, oh, yes, of course there could be experts. There could be people who know this and cannot be wrong. And, um, it puts one in a um, potentially a vulnerable position to even be a fallibilist, to even admit that a statement you're making is potentially wrong. And what, you know, <laughs> so so are we? Should we couch our beliefs uh, in some way, or should we always just kind of go in and and hope that people realize the implicit nature of of the I don't know no. <laughs> without actually I don't, putting I don't, it? In I don't think it should be implicit. I think we should make it explicit always. But but okay. It's really funny that you say that because the, one of the big books uh, of the Pittsburgh School in recent years is called Making It Explicit. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Salarsian, dude. Apparently. <laughs> okay, so their, their argument is to kind of like, let's get this out there in the world and get people maybe being a little bit more humble about knowledge. Or is it just going to Or about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is, ironically enough, that this has come up, um, not ironically at all, it's completely um, derived from why I Well timed. Well timed, yeah, not ironic. So the business world in particular has trouble with this, I have discovered over <laughs> um, the last few months of being uh, within a business. And the, the kind of the scientific community has embraced fallibilism, right, Dr. Webb? Like, that's, that's pretty much science, right? It's, yeah, I think it really <laughs> it's is. A it's a hypothesis. I could be wrong about this. Science. Let's find out why, you know. <laughs> um, so so would, would, science, would the scientific method be, could it be characterized as, like, systematic, the, the application of fallibilism to uh, the world? Or I don't know, how, how would you put that exactly? I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> so the scientific well, methods, uh, just to break it down is right. I have a hypothesis. This hypothesis may be true or false. Therefore, I will design this experiment that is designed to indicate whether my hypothesis is, and, and how my hypothesis is true or false, so that I can reformulate my hypothesis based on the results, right? And then if I... You know, if, if, if my prediction is consistent with the results of the experiment, then I have knowledge of a sort, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> so what, why are you kind of wishy-washy on that one? Well, no, I mean, I think that's right. I, and the way, but the way it does it is by specifically not dealing with, uh, like, mathematics and logic and the a priori. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, yeah, I mean, it's really clearly true of empirical stuff that is mm -hmm. fallible. Ah, okay. So that that specifically is em empiricism. Yeah, and I think so. Yeah. Okay. 
And, and I guess so, so what, what fallibilism is, is applying to more than just empirical knowledge. Yeah. Okay. It sort of yeah, widens the scope to everything. Gotcha. And you know, I think you're right. It's um it's uh uh is sort of got this unsafe feeling that it's gonna <laughs> sort of step on its own toes like skepticism does. Uh-huh. And yet I I like I like thinking of it sort of from the standpoint of humility. It's, yeah. you're, you're saying, and it, it's, there's some kind of, I don't, I, it's hard for me to articulate this, but like there's more of a robustness or more of a safeness in like embracing the uncertainty because yep. you, exactly. you can never be surprised, right? Like, <laughs> then when it's change, you don't get slapped upside the head. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess the, the, um, Ego can very much get in the way of that. You know that 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 fear of being wrong can actually end up making you more likely to suffer from being wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, you get you get crushed by the wave. <laughs> yeah. So, what can we do about this? <laughs> if anything, so Pittsburgh has published a book. <laughs> right? You published a paper. People are plagiarizing the paper, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, do we just do we just live this way? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. There's no is ought here. It's just right. I mean, I find it very natural, and other people don't. But mm. uh, I, I hope I don't think it's true just because I find it comfortable. Mm. <laughs> um, more on the I guess the happy. the game the language game type stuff is is that what what would you call that that approach um, that that you were describing there. What? <laughs> um, so the, this Pittsburgh school—is it written up anywhere on like the Stanford Encyclopedia or the? Uh... Well, um, I guess only I and the other Pittsburgh schoolers call it the Pittsburgh School. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it started with Wilfred Sellers. Okay. Uh, he uh, and I think he was influenced by Wittgenstein a lot by this idea of a language game. Right. But he did something different with it. Um, and his acolyte was Robert Brandom, who wrote um, Making It Explicit, okay. which is a big, thick, impenetrable doorstop of a book. So you're saying it's not very explicit? <laughs> no, it isn't, oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his student was Mark Lance, who is the guy I knew who indoctrinated me, okay. uh, who's now at Georgetown. And he wrote one called The Grammar of Meaning, which is, I think, where he lays it out. Okay. And it's different from Brandom's. It's more sort of uh, more normish and, and, and more moral, ethical. Okay. Um, so as a starting point, if, if we or any of our listeners did want to get a, a better handle on the, a philosophically rigorous... Uh, articulation of foul, of normative fallibilism, I guess. <laughs> what yeah, would you call yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Um, then That's the grammar the meaning would be a, a good start. Um, I think uh, the grammar of meaning would be a good start. That's, okay. Uh, well, we'll put that uh, on gosh, the list. What was then. that other? There was a nice paper he wrote with John Hawthorne. Okay. Which was shorter and easier to handle. Uh, <laughs> Well, if you do happen to discover it, uh, definitely drop that in the chat room. I, I did want to kind of go off on the, the rabbit trail of which, um, between the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy <laughs> and the uh, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, um, you prefer the Stanford one. Yeah, I think the Stanford one gets better authors, and uh, they do more stringent review, and they get a better product. How do the they... IEP ones are perfectly good. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. But uh, how, how especially they... the one on uh, Jane philosophy? I think that's a, that oh, one's really? a gem. On uh, on IEP. Yep. So how are these how are these sources getting articles? Obvious <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it is it well? Um, there there are editors assigned to areas, just like with a paper encyclopedia. Okay. And they recruit people, and you can volunteer. Mm -hmm. um, I volunteered uh, for the IEP and I was recruited for Stanford, which is kind of interesting because it's backwards from what I would have expected. Interesting. <laughs> I would have expected the Stanford people wouldn't know me from Adams off Ox. 
So the IEP is more of a, a kind of like a Wikipedia type thing, or are they a for-profit organization? Um, no, not for profit. Um, no. Okay. Yeah, they are. But the definitely not a wiki. I mean, the author writes it, um, and the author is responsible for maintaining it, but nobody else can touch it. Um, I'm trying to figure out how they're funded. <laughs> they, uh, From viewers like you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that. it. Stanford is uh, Stanford University and, and donations. Well, the the Stanford one, right? But the yeah. IEP. IEP, I have no idea. It'd be funny if Stanford was funding that one too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to make uh, make themselves look better, they fund this other one. Yeah. yeah so that one's okay, but uh, the Stanford one's where it's at. Interesting. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's interesting to me how these, these sort of things arise. And a lot of them are written as, you know, a graduate student might write an essay on a particular topic. Um, you know, really just, you know, pulling from as many sources of po as possible, summarizing it. Um, a lot of the, a lot of it, you know, when we were going through the various classes, we would be asked to, to write essays summarizing a particular um, author or philosophical position and you know going going to these encyclopedia sources you know the rigor there was just so much higher and it's it was sort of hard to figure out how you would do anything you know quote in your own voice that was distinct from these um, I don't know in this case that you'd want to though I mean this is this is something you know encyclopedias in general aren't supposed to be author driven they're supposed to be tomes of collected knowledge right so the the author's voice doesn't really exist in the encyclopedic work now i would argue of course it does uh, yeah yeah but the goal you can trace it but it's not yeah. sort of it's not foregrounded obvious. i guess they don't go i the author think yeah or have experienced Although, there's, there's no intentional presence this one actually does start with with i well, that's cool. And um, yeah, in the um, the one we're looking at, fallibilism on the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Um, do, 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 do. I swear there was an I in here, or maybe it was like the the purpose of this essay or something like yeah, that. Yeah, even that then that's. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, for simplicity, though, and because it represents the thinking of most epistemologists, in what follows, I will generally discuss fallibilism in its unrestricted form. Yeah. I think that's the only time there's an I, though. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it's not the, it's not the it's right not, style. It's not encyclopedic. For it's an not encyclopedic, encyclopedic, yeah. So that just, it struck me as strange, and then the rest of it was written very, very detached. But, uh, yeah, I, I found that interesting. So um, I guess we, we've gotten to a good place. You know, for, for me, I recognize that there can be, like, a calm and a comfort in... This and embracing uncertainty, it recognizes the human condition. It recognizes we're we're adapting always, um, and it, and I, I kind of wish that more people might adapt that because it, boy, it's just it lets you be wrong and be okay with that. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. like being some wrong of the just best research on something. educational psychology is is beginning to show that you you learn stuff better by making a mistake first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so cool. if, if people study, 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 and get get a hundred on the first test, they don't learn it as well as the people that got a fifty and then go right. back and look over it again, mm. which is counterintuitive to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so what you, what you going to do about that, Doctor Webb? Are you going to be uh, grading people a bit more? Just start harsher? failing everybody. Just start, don't give yeah. out any A's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to look at them anymore. I'm just going to put F's on everything. F all the way across the board. Try harder next time. Do it better. <laughs> so even the people with, who maybe objectively did well, right? That reminds me of an anecdote that huh? I think was from the West Wing, but it may have just been my projection. You know, a um, speechwriter working for the president, um, you know, works really hard on his rice for a speech, you know, he gives it to him and he goes, is this your best work? Um, <laughs> and the guy goes, oh, and he takes it back and, and he reworks uh, it and reworks <laughs> it. And he gives it back to the guy and he goes, uh, is this your best work? <laughs> Uh, he goes, okay, so he takes it back, and he, yeah. he works really hard, and he you know, spends hours and days, and he brings it back, and he's like, this your best work? Uh. It's like, yes, this is the best I can do. He goes, okay, I'll read it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you rat bastard. <laughs> and that's, that's, that reminds me of, it's like, okay, now I'll read it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it certainly... 
it, it gets at this idea of you know iteration and mm -hmm. you know failing early, failing <laughs> often, and all these things that are starting to. By the way, Dr. Webb, have, have you ever read the Lean Startup Methodology? I was just looking at sketches of it. I'm I'm not clear on it what it exactly is, except no. that it involves uh, starting early with a what's the idea? A minimal acceptable a minimum, product or something a like that, product, and yeah. getting feedback sort of constantly about how good it is. Yeah, so you're, you're it's you're less going out on a limb. You're going less out, you're going not as far out, never mind. <laughs> right. Fewer limbs. You're Bigger taking limbs. fewer risks. <laughs> exactly. Well, if, if anything, I would art articulate it as like the scientific, as empiricism applied to product development and business development, yeah. which is a, yeah. apparently a novel approach. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it surprises <laughs> me that it's novel, but you know, when you think about it, our picture of the successful businessman is somebody who's aggressive and arrogant and yeah, stands um, up for his own point of view. What's funny, though, is, uh, is the successful ones are called persistent. The unsuccessful ones are called bullheaded. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it really it doesn't recognize how improvement can happen uh, you know that, that sort of idea of, of like learning the, the way he articulates it Eric Reese uh, the author of the Lean Startup is it's uh, learning um, through through iteration uh, through, or what he calls through validated learning um, how to build a sustainable business so not not like whether a particular product uh, works or not because that's part of it but learn how to build a sustainable business recognize your your strategy that's in place form hypotheses within that strategy test those with customers behavior not just by asking them um, yeah. learn from them revise your hypothesis and, and iterate 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 minimize what he calls the time through that iterative cycle and you know get get to get through these cycles faster with less money because in business it's all about like get traction and then get to the point where you're you're actually scaling something that is making money rather than building a huge expensive thing and then finding out that one of these assumptions that you based all of that building on was wrong. <laughs> one of these assumptions about customer behavior. Um, and I love that. And, and that's that's what really is surprising to me is, is in the business world, that is a novel idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like the, the usual thing is to, to uh, hoard and hide and so mm -hmm. you can have a big reveal later of the fully right. developed thing. And the ones who ones who succeed Edsel, are just know, lucky. I mean, I mean they're, they're not they don't succeed because they went through any sort of rigorous testing process. They succeed because they were lucky. Um, yeah, and the ones basically who failed, they guessed right. Yeah, so the ones who succeed don't know why they succeeded, and the ones who failed don't know why they failed. So, yeah. <laughs> ultimately, there's no there's like no knowledge being gained about uh, best practices or anything in the process. So I, I really like that, and I, I like that that's starting to get. It's getting uptake in the in the business world for sure, but that's also worth reading for any of our listeners. If you're if you're in the business realm and you'd like to see fallibilism applied to business, give that a read. Um, not to say that people will accept you for for taking on that position. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. If you're within the business realm, but it's at least a start. Um, we don't. I have just four put up, by the way, the, mm -hmm. the citation for my the last. That's like. I revised the damn thing three times, and it, ah. <laughs> this is the third and final version of my fallibilism paper. So cool, sweet. All right, we'll put that in the show. Is it available anywhere? Uh, it's in a book. Okay. Uh, book. I'm a, a very book? expensive academic publisher. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I can't find it online. It used to be online. Um, it's not in a you know. Well, if people if people want to email me, I'd be glad to uh, to so send a PDF or something. How come your name isn't in here anywhere? <laughs> Did you okay. write this? Did it's not paper quite mail? the complete citation. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled that off my webpage. My name is up above it. So. Oops. Oh. Uh, <laughs> incomplete citation. Mm. Book is edited yeah. by Wolf and Lance. Right. But I am neither of them. You are not. <laughs> That's correct. Um, so, so. But we could be wrong about that. We could. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I just proved it. <laughs> All right. I like it. Well, we don't actually have a, have a form spring um, question of the day anymore because form spring is gone. gone. Um, yeah, it's not a thing anymore, although it is. So form spring announced that they were closing down and then and then they weren't closing down. So the site, the site is still here. 
um, even though I exported all of our questions from it, and I don't really know what's happening now. Um, you can still ask us, I guess, form spring questions of the day, but um, where, where should we end things up? Um, um, I have a fun story yeah. that, that kind of relates to other things, and I won't, I won't name names because I despise this person a little bit. Um, okay. I know somebody who, about six months ago, I don't know him well, but about six months ago, became a guy who writes papers for hire. Oh boy. Um, and like this was a guy I respected until he did this and I, I just, <laughs> your mention of, of paper mills earlier reminded me of this Dr. Webb and it's just like yeah. I can't, I can't believe, like I know that exists, but like this, is, this isn't necessarily a job he wanted but it's a job he found because he couldn't find anything else and I'm like this is what you settled with, like where, how do you justify that morally? <laughs> having having been on the academic side of things, yeah. and I'm like, how can you? You just ignore accept it, right? pay for things that are not illegal but are <laughs> reprehensible. And I haven't, I haven't, at least prostitution doesn't involve fraud. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> That's very true. Are, are we really saying that, that prostitution is preferable to paper mills? Yes. <laughs> I don't have a big problem with prostitution. Yeah, okay. Nobody's lying in that situation. No, no, everybody knows what, what's going on. Um, everybody involved in that process is fully aware of what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, so that's, that's my uh, terrible thing that I learned recently, and hmm. I'm just... He's done for the semester because school's out. He didn't know if he was going to go back. But oh, yeah. the fact that he did it at all, like, and this is a guy who has children and a wife and is like supporting his family. By plagiarizing or, or by no, supporting plagiarism. plagiarism. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's plagiarism. He's institutionalized. And of course, it's the, huh. it's the one that's the hardest to catch. Yep. Because, yep. you know. It's, it's not, there's, you're not copying something from somewhere. You're getting somebody else to do your work yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Capitalism, yay! Yay! They should also Market get the degree. Forces. Right. <laughs> well, um, on that note, I guess. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> um, this this is our opinion. We could be wrong. Maybe maybe we'll like preface that in at, at the end of every every episode. Uh, you know, all the preceding content is you know there is stated to the best of our knowledge, but we could be wrong about all of it. So come back next week and find out what we don't know. <laughs> if y'all are familiar with, I think it's I like it. Um, <laughs> Scott Adams, who mm. I dislike for a number of reasons, um, he's the guy who makes Dilbert, mm. um, which is not one of the reasons I dislike him. Although I could see it being the reason to dislike him. Mm-hmm. Um, wrote a thing on his blog at one point about how everything he says should be you know, have a hidden suffix of, but I could be wrong about this. Same as the Tim Kreider thing. Yeah, yeah. it's sort yeah. of like, it's just, that's, you know, and I'm, I'm going to put that, you know, sometimes explicitly, but always just should be there, but I could be wrong about this. Yeah. Um, I don't remember where it was, because I, I don't read his blog, because I don't like him. <laughs> um, but you like that part of what he does. Well, I do, but the thing is, he doesn't actually live by that. Oh. He, he says things like, Women should be treated like the mentally handicapped. Just give them what they want. But I could be wrong about that. But he doesn't but actually a, act like he's wrong about that. So yeah, I guess in, in those, yeah, he is wrong about that. He is wrong about that. <laughs> if you're making a big move, does it implies can. Yeah. <laughs> and but and that's and that's one of a number of things. He's also done some like um, sock puppeting on message boards, uh-huh. where he'll pop up. Someone will say something bad about him, and he'll pop up under a fake name and defend himself. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Speaking of sock puppeting, I, I did support the uh, the Manos Hands of Fate um, felt fe- felt Manos, Manos Hands, Hands of Hands Felt, of felt um, <laughs> puppet show production of uh, Manos the Hands of Fate. Yeah, puppet that's musical production. Puppet musical production. <laughs> it's it's gonna be something special. Yeah. Or I could, I'm, or maybe not. I could be wrong about that. So <laughs> it could be terrible. Uh, Kevin, where can people find you on the, the uh, Twitter.com slash Kevsond. I think I actually tweeted today or yesterday. Wow. I don't tweet often. No. I, I if, tweet. I'm, if I'm tweeting once a day, that's like, <laughs> I'm active on the social webs. <laughs> uh, and then Dr. Webb, uh, to, aside from your paper, which we'll, we'll link to in the show notes, um, anything you got going on on the World Wide Web? Uh, 
You got a no. homepage. <laughs> you do have a homepage. So why don't use, you blog? Don't I use web? carrier pigeons. I use carrier pigeons, <laughs> and like they actually style? Do you send so. a raven? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll just tell people Google Dr. Webb. Dr. Mark Webb. Two Bs. You'll find a very old photo of him uh, as, uh, not very, not that old. You'll find a, you'll find a. I placed it with a, a current one. Did you? Okay. You'll find a picture of you'll Dr. Mark a, Webb. You'll find a photo of Dr. Webb um, at some point in time that we won't reveal. I mean, you, don't, I mean, you can find it. It's probably oh, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I do. But that's you okay. know, once it's on the web, no, no matter how hard you try, you can't get it back. Internet again. never forgets. There forever, unless you have fake block. <laughs> I hear it's, it's reference humor. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, we hope you will go out into the world and, um, you know, maybe be wrong about a few things. Who knows? We'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. So guess what? We're not a thing anymore, apparently. Yeah, I know. About what, what was it? Like a year or two ago, we got an email from uh, from someone. You you got an email? I no, I found it. Like I didn't even. I I was. I was self-googling. Oh yeah, that the uh, the guide to online schools. Which I mean, let's be honest, sounds not. pretty hokey to begin with. <laughs> probably a. a I've always thing. felt that. Um, um, named us the number two uh, top philosophy podcast. So we we were like, oh, this is great, we're a thing now, we're number two, and we put that badge on our website, and uh, we're very proud of it for a while. And I recently got an email from from the, a person, the manager at the guide to online schools, the god, the god to online schools, very pretentious, <laughs> saying, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we have since removed this list and all related blog content from our website. So would you remind removing the badge? <laughs> Um, wow, that, that like, sucks. Okay, I mean, that's like finding out that the Nobel Prize Committee is a bunch of fakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. although like, to be fair, these guys were called the Guide to Online Schools. They talk about ITT Tech, University yeah. of Phoenix. They weren't exactly the you know the Nobel Prize of, of web awards. What it kind of was was a a here is a list of fifty podcasts about philosophy. Yeah, yeah. And we just happen to be near the top because <laughs> we show up in Google when you Google podcast. Because it started philosophy. with B. Right. Yeah. right. Oh, when you Google man. philosophy podcast, it's like us, <laughs> philosophy bites, that other one. Why don't we go get a beer? I'll give you some advice, and uh, we can have what the kids are calling a sausage fest. Badphilosophy.com Great episode, everybody. That was fun. Let's go home. Hoop-de-doop-de.